when you tell someone that you are saved, you are actually telling them you've been rescued. That's what you're telling them. Now, so often in the American church, what does it really mean? Well, I walked down an aisle when I was six. I got baptized. I did whatever. Now, when you are telling someone that you got saved, you are literally saying, I got rescued. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. God, as we bring all of our challenges into this place today, and our disappointments, and questions. God, as that song says, we're all looking for answers that only you can provide. And so as we press into you, I I pray that you would help us just to renounce everything that's jockeying for lordship in our lives. God, I pray that you would not allow there to be any oppression in this place right now, but I pray as we run hard after your glory, that that word of God, that you would speak, that you would come alive, renew us and recharge us, refresh us, God, for the, the battle that lies ahead as we press on into another week. So Father, we lift up your name because we know this, that when your name is high and lifted up through the name of your son Jesus, that you will draw men into yourself. And so we simply lift up your name. God, I pray for those today that are are ill, that are sick. God, I pray you would speak into their lives. I pray that for those that perhaps have just gotten lazy in their faith, perhaps this virus has just now been an excuse. God, we know that isolation is a tool of the enemy. And so I pray we would not forsake the assembly, but I pray that if we're able and healthy, that we'd be willing to continue to gather and never take this for granted. So God, would you speak in this time as we open your word, the glorious word. Word of God, would you fall down like rain? Would you rain in our hearts? Would you move? that we leave here today saying, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And God will be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Here in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, the title of the message today is Christ-honoring speech. Is there anyone today in the church house that has ever said something besides me that you regret? Anyone besides me? I'm sure there's probably most of us, uh, the rest of you need to go down to John Tyler and enroll in why lying is bad, amen? Uh, It is definitely an easy thing to say stuff that, boy, we wish as it's uh, going out of the the mouth that we could hit Control-Alt-Delete, amen? And repent from it because it's so easy to speak a word that is not Christ-honoring. Here in James 4, verse 11, here's what the Word of God says as we unpack this word by word. 
James writes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not speak evil against one another, comma, brothers. Pretty simple. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, don't miss that, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Hmm, what does that mean? Well, we'll find out here in a moment. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer. Uh Uh-oh, there it is. A doer of the law, but a judge. Lastly, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Don't miss that, church. He who is able to save, amen, and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What on earth is James getting at here? What does this mean? What is the the context? What is the admonition? What is the premise that James is speaking here? Well, jump up to verse 7 in your Bible for a moment. And again, here is the context as he leads in here so beautifully. He gives these simple instructions that are so easy to follow. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Not overly easy. Resist the devil and He will flee from you. What a beautiful promise. Draw near to God, verse 8, and He will draw near to you. Praise God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Doesn't sound overly promising, does it? Verse 10, another easy thing to do. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Of course, that's not easy. In the flesh, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, amen? And in the midst of this, you think through this great admonition as he comes swinging out of the chute here, and he says, look, you got to humble yourself because if you don't have humility in your life, you're walking in pride. You're either walking in pride or humility. And we already know from James that God does what to the proud? He opposes the proud. He gives that Heisman stiff arm. He says, you're not getting near me. I'm going to war against you. I'm not going to allow you to come near me. I'm going to oppose you because of your pride, but I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up when you humble yourself. See, the way up is is really down in God's economy. You live by dying. You actually win by losing. See, God's lens and the fleshly lens are two different lenses. And it depends on which lens you're looking through. You can be in church every Sunday. You can be a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. And the reality is you can be looking through the wrong lens. It's all about the lens you're looking through in order to accomplish God's will for His glory, for your good in your life. But if you're not a humble person, this is going to be tough sledding. If you're not coachable, if you're not teachable, you got to remember the context. James is speaking to a Jewish audience of believers, and he's addressing some heavy issues here, some deep issues going through your trials, talking about taming the tongue. And then here he's back to this premise because he addressed there in late chapter 3 and early chapter 4 of the selfishness that all of us deal with, the me monster, right? The me planet, the me universe that we all struggle with. I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to pitch a fit. 
This isn't the plan. And we get all bent out of shape. We make emotional decisions. And then what happens? Well, typically the train goes off the rails. The wheels fall off the bus. The lug nuts are loose. And that's when the home and the business and the ball team and the church begins to disintegrate, not from the outside, but from the inside. And James says, look, here is the deal. Believers, he's writing believers saying, you got to understand this. You can't be speaking evil of one another. Like, this is not good. God's not going to bless this. I was thinking about that thought and humility. I heard someone say this recently, but they said so often in the church world, we are professional pretenders. And I thought, boy, that's good. It's so easy to pretend and become really good at it. We become trained Sunday morning. This is what we do. This is how we behave. This is how we dress. And then we go back to this covert other life all the week long. And the whole point of the gospel is that we're changed in totality. It's a wholesale change. We are truly no longer our own. We give our life to Christ. And that's where we make a beeline towards the gospel. Because when you and I truly understand the depravity of our sin, we will finally, finally begin to understand, at least for a glimpse, the massive grace of God that was shed on Calvary. I would argue that there is a large number of professing, I say that word professing, believers across our country today that have no clue about the gravity of the grace of God because they've never got to the reality of how vast their sin really is. Like when you and I, when I look in the mirror and I see how wicked and depraved I am, and then I look towards the cross and go, he did that for me? How can we ever, in our right minds, begin to view Him in a casual, apathetic, indifferent manner? So often you think about the premise of the level of the revival will be proportional to the level of our surrender. And so much of this is what's in our heart that comes out of the mouth. See, James says right here in verse 11, do not speak evil. What is he talking about here? Do not speak evil. It's really one word. It's the word slander. And slander is this. Slander is defaming someone else's reputation to injure them And it typically comes from a posture of the heart where there has been either some woundedness, some bitterness, some envious jealousy that hasn't been fed and met, and we begin to want to tear down in order to attempt to build ourselves up. And the reality is this, when we tear others down, we tear ourselves down. Barclay, one of the commentators, said it like this, and he really got to the point. 
He said regarding slander and speaking evil in this context, he says, and I quote, the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information which destroys the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves, end quote. What's good, isn't it? And it's so easy to do at the family reunion. It's so easy to do on the ball team. It's so easy to do near the water cooler at the office, right? And it's really easy to do in the back hallways of the church house. That there's something going on, this internal struggle, this internal war of me and me and me, and i got to have what I want, I'm not getting what I want, and what happens, it comes from the heart, out of the mouth, and we begin to speak evil. I find it interesting there that you think about this speaking. Remember in James 1.19 where he says, let every person be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak. So here's this speaking, listening diatribe, dichotomy, if you will, again, that goes, wait a minute, as one person said, it's really, really hard, really, really hard to be learning and listening when our mouth is wide open. There's something about listening, because when we listen, we're thinking. Often when we're talking, we're not thinking, it's emotionally charged, they've hurt me, they've wounded me. I'm going to get them. Like, I'm going to make them pay for this. My guard's up. The wall's up. You're not going to hurt me again. And what happens, though, is the calamity, the devastation is just seismic. Because now it's rippling throughout that home, throughout that business, that ball team, and yes, even that church. I made a note here. I said this conflict will increase in your life when your ears are closed and your mouth is wide open. Conflict will increase in your life when your ears are closed and your mouth is wide open. So James says here, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the brethren, the church, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So what does he mean by judge? Well, here's what it means. He's saying this, not that you don't confront sin. Please hear me on this. Actually, hear the Word of God. We see over and over where Jesus talks about this, where Paul talks about this, that we see that we are to confront sin. We do it in love with grace and mercy and truth, with humility but you don't sit on your hands. You don't turn a blind eye. Of course you have to confront sin. He's talking about condemnation, judging, condemning. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one who saves, only one who destroys. And oh, by the way, when he says that word there in verse 11, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. What did James tell us earlier in 122? But be doers of the word and what? Not hearers only. Because if I'm only hearing, you said, well, wait a minute, I'm confused. I thought I'm supposed to listen. We are supposed to listen. But we internalize what we hear from God's word and we hide it under a bush. Oh, no. What do we do? I'm going to let it shine, right? Now we take action on it. We do something with it. Are we uh, just a, a hearer or an obeyer? Are we a sayer or an obeyer? 
He says, look, you have to be in obedience. That's the whole point. God's not looking for sacrifice. He's looking for obedience. We can externally, here we go again, give God a sacrifice and still have our heart rotten to the core. This is all about a life that is so gripped by the cross and the empty tomb that the life is no longer their own. And as we give that life away, obedience is just a natural outflow. The people that I talk to that are struggling with obedience don't have an obedience issue. They got a heart issue. Obedience is just simply an outflow, an expression that when you and I understand how vile and wicked we really are, we will now understand God's grace. And when we really understand God's grace, the natural response is, God, I want to obey you. God, I want to please you. Like all the days of my life. You think through that, and I believe key number one just gets to the point. And so key number one that I want you to write down is simply this. If I desire to be like Christ, slander must be exterminated from my life. Write that down. If I desire to be like Christ, slander must be exterminated from my life. So you notice I, I phrase that as a question, you know, if... If you really desire, if you're here today going, you know what, I want to be like Jesus. I want to make a difference. I want to live for Him. I don't want to be on this cul-de-sac going nowhere any longer in my life. I want to be committed. I'm all in. If you desire this, which by the way, praise God, amen. If you desire this, extermination of slander must happen. What does it mean to exterminate something? Yeah, I mean, if any exterminators in the room, by the way, anybody do this professionally? Okay, no exterminators. Any terminators in the church house today? A couple terminators. Okay, I got you. I figure there are a few of those out there. So extermination is simply where you eradicate something and it's totally gone. I mean, that's the point of the definition. You, you get to the problem, termites, whatever it is, and you eradicate it so that it's completely gone. Not like hey, Mr. Homeowner, hey, we were down in your basement and the termites, it's really bad, but I got great news for you. I mean, I got amazing news. Uh, 79% are gone. Here's your bill. You're going to be pretty happy, right? Of course not. You expect that guy, that person, that, that woman, whoever's doing the extermination there in your house to do what? To get rid of them. I'm telling you, if you and I play patty cake with slander, it will destroy us. I mean, it will just literally destroy you. It can have no place in the true believer's life. When wounded, our feelings typically betray us. Well, I felt this way. Okay, oh boy, here we go. I assumed. Well, I thought. Oh, brother, here we go. I've heard this story more times than I can count. But no wonder you're dealing with this mess down here. You assumed, you thought, you felt. Well, my heart led me this way. Oh, good grief. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? And your heart led you that way? No wonder you're off a cliff. I mean, this isn't overly complicated. Don't trust how you feel. Trust Jesus. But when we're wounded, oh, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Why? Because our feelings typically betray us. 
It often leads to bitterness that settles deep. It nestles deep within our heart in every crevice. Then we want to retaliate, don't we? And often we retaliate through a slanderous speech. I made a note here. I said this slander is also a great deflective tactic when we are walking in sin. Think about this. So if we're walking in sin, it can be a great deflective tactic. Why? Because if I'm living in sin, the last thing I want you to do is know I'm living in sin. I want you to focus on someone else's sin. So I'm going to slander someone else to get you going, okay, wait a minute, squirrel. (laughs) I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm going to go over here. It's a great deflective mechanism. We are great at manipulation as human beings, aren't we? And when we're wounded, we just want to often get the focus off ourselves as we live in sin. And then lastly, I made the note, I said slandering someone else shows who we are really under the sway and control of. Here's what the Bible says, supporting verses, if you're wondering what the Bible says about all this. Write down Romans 12, 19. Romans 12, 19. So here's what Paul writes, and he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So let's talk about this one for a moment on this key number one, that if I desire to be like Christ, if if you're here today and you say, I don't want to be like Mike, I want to be like Jesus, praise God, number one, but slander is going to have to be exterminated. Right there in Romans 12, 19, it says this, never avenge yourself. Now understand this, Paul is not saying you don't stand up for yourself. He's not saying that you don't confront sin. Please hear this very, very clearly. What he is saying is that when you are slandered, when you are wounded, don't allow bitterness to take root in your life. It will utterly imprison you and destroy you all the days of your life. One person said that bitterness is like you drinking the poison while you're waiting for the other person to die. That's the delusion of sin. That's the delusion. It always, always overpromises and underdelivers. Always, 100% of the time. And while it overpromises and underdelivers, as someone once said as well, sin does this. It will always do this. It always keeps you far longer than you ever wanted to stay. Always. It just grips and rips into your life like a dagger of claws and it doesn't let go very easily you're listening to this day in the word the radio teaching ministry of this day ministries all of pastor couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org in addition you can share your prayer requests with us via email our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Vengeance is mine, says God. Church, here it is. When someone slanders me and slanders you, when? You say, why do you say that? Here's why. If you are a true Christ follower, 
at some point in your life, if you're truly following Christ, people will truly hate you. If you're truly following Christ, at some point in your life, people will truly hate you. And it's our opportunity at that moment to not retaliate, because if we retaliate to the fool, we become like the fool. Do not answer a fool according to his own folly, lest you become like him, is what Proverbs says. What do we do, though? Well, we're going to find out here in a moment what the Bible says. But in this moment right here, we allow the Lord to do His work. And oh, by the way, let me read this one more time, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now, like when I say those words, wrath of God, do you get the warm fuzzies? Like, do you go, oh, man, that's going to be just a sweet, docile day, isn't it? Really? Like, watch out, amen? I don't want to be anywhere near that. Uh, I hope, I pray you don't want to be anywhere near that. The wrath of God, when it is unleashed, the Bible talks about this, that His wrath will be unleashed like a fury. For the true believer, we rest under the righteous royal blood of Jesus, Amen. And because of that, we don't have to worry about that. But don't get sucked in to playing these games. People get sucked into playing the games. Don't play these games. It's a total disaster. You say, well, what do I do then? Well, I'm glad you asked. Write down Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29, Paul is writing here uh, to the church in Ephesus and he gives, again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, more direction. So if you're looking right now, maybe some of you are going to work tomorrow, and you're like, oh, i got to go to work and deal with that person. i got to go to work and struggle with this situation. Well, here's Ephesians 4.29. Right here it is. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. None. Zero, not a nilch. But only, here it is, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you see that? We're either tearing down or we're building up. One of the two. Now again, under this context, I'm going to keep saying this. God does not say here that you do not confront sin. We always deal with sin, but we do it in a Christ-like, grace-filled, merciful, God-honoring way. He's not saying turn a blind eye. So when he says this in his word, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. Hey, you know what? Sometimes the most loving building up thing you can do is share with someone that they're living in sin. For you parents in the room who have either raised your child or children or in that process... I've seen some really good parenting, and I've seen some really lousy parenting, by the way. You just don't let Johnny and Timmy and Susie do whatever they want, right? That'd be total insanity. No, what do you do? You guide them in a loving, sometimes yes, firm way into truth. It's the same premise here. But we do, getting back to the point, we do want to be builders up. That's why we call ourselves the fellowship of encouragement. But you got to remember the word encouragement is just not a happy, sappy, put my arm around your shoulder. That word encouragement at times is 
a loving kick in the pants where we come alongside one another and say, hey, John, you come to me and go, uh, you're missing this thing. I mean, you're totally blowing this. Prayerfully, I'll be humble and go, you know what? You're right. Thank you for having the courage to share with me. Let me get my life back on the course it needs to go on. That's actually part of encouragement. The word encouragement means to put courage, to infuse courage into. We build one another up. And sometimes that iron sharpens iron. And when iron sharpens iron, there are typically sparks that fly. How about 1 Peter? Write this one down as the last verse under that key number one. 1 Peter 2.1. So again, here's more admonition from the Word of God. This is just the Word of God. I don't say just like it's nothing. I'm saying in the simplicity. Like this is what the Word says, and so let's just listen to the Word. 1 Peter 2.1. So put away. How much malice? All. How much deceit? All. And what else? Hypocrisy, envy, and what? All slander. There's no wiggle room here. If I'm speaking in an evil way about someone else, I'm living in sin, period. There's no way you can get around this. Now, I can rationalize it. I can justify it. But you guys already know this. We talk about this frequently. Denial what? It is a river in Egypt. But it's a really bad game plan for the Christian life. Some spend their entire lives rationalizing and justifying their sin. I've seen this. They live in denial. They avoid doing the one thing. The one thing. Just the one thing they need to do, and that's to reach out to those they've wounded and hurt and just simply say those hard words that are so difficult, that are so challenging, that I am sorry, will you forgive me? Those are hard words when when your heart is ruled by pride, isn't it? But when your heart is ruled by humility, the obedience is just a natural outflow. See, God has called us not to slanderous speech, but to Christ-honoring speech. Look at verse 12 for a moment, our final verse. This is what the Word of God says in James chapter 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver, make a note of that, just one, and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So it's very interesting when you see this word here in that text that he who is able to save and destroy. Now, back up for just a moment. So when I'm prideful, when you are prideful, when those moments that all come into our lives, I'm not talking about habitual pride. I'm talking about there's all moments we all struggle from time to time where the me monster, the me planet, the me universe takes center stage and we want and we want and we grapple and we're not getting and we begin to pitch the fit and throw the pity party and, and sulk and all the things that go on. It happens to all of us at some point in the journey. As we're in this, you got to understand from God's Word that we just read, when we begin to slander, when we begin to condemn, we are literally saying this, I'm God because I'm going to judge you. I'm going to condemn you. And God, through His Word, says right here, that's not my role. That's not your role. 
God says, I'm the one lawgiver. I'm the one. John, you're not above the law. Put your name in there. You're not above the law. This is what God does. This is His role. He's God and we're not. And all God's people shouted, Amen, right? Think about that word save. He was able to save. Write that down somewhere in your notes. Write down the word save and then just put an equal sign and then write the word rescue. I'm going to pray and and I just ask the Lord even right now from this moment forward that we will never forget what that means. When you tell someone that you are saved, you are actually telling them you've been rescued. That's what you're telling them. Now, so often in the American church, what does it really mean? Well, I walked down an aisle when I was six. Uh, I got baptized. I did whatever. Now, when you are telling someone that you got saved, you are literally saying, I got rescued. How many times have you seen someone on the news who has just exited a burning building and the news crew's there and they got the video camera set up with the bright lights and the microphone and they look at the person and say, what happened? And the person looks in the camera and goes, I rescued myself. I haven't seen that happen. You know, typically it was some heroic fireman, a woman, uh, went in the the burning building and, and literally pulled them out. Like everyone else is running out of the fire and they're running into the fire. And, and that's what Jesus did on the cross that, that literally when everyone else is running out of the fire, he goes, rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. He ran right into the fire. And as he did that, he saves, he rescues. I was thinking about this thought this past week. It's really hard to give your life away when you are still hanging on to it. Have you ever thought about that? It's really, really hard to totally just give your life away while you're still just hanging on to it for dear life. It's kind of like that principle of giving we talk about often. Not the financial component. To me, that's actually last on the list. It's all about giving your life first. Have you noticed this? That when you hang on to your life, your hopes and your dreams and your desires, which by the way, maybe those same hopes and dreams and desires are actually God's hopes and dreams and desires for you. That actually could be the case. But when we hang on with clenched fist, because this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is where I want to go. This is who I want to marry, and I'm going to live here, and I want to drive this, and I want this bank account, and I want this retirement, and on and on and on. And we just hang on, and we hang on, and we hang on. Have you noticed this, church? When our fists are so clenched and closed, He can't put anything in our fists. But you get a bunch of people together who go, here, (laughs) it's not mine anyway, it's yours. You gave it to me, God. Here's what he does, and I've seen this happen in so many people's lives. They just go, I'm just a conduit. I'm just a conduit. He gives, and I keep giving wherever he wants me to direct it. My life, my time, my talent, and yes, my treasure, all the above. I just give it away. I give it away in missionary sacrifice. 
Here's what he does. He just keeps putting more in our hands. It's called the law of giving. And the financial component is actually the last piece in the puzzle, not the first. God doesn't want your checkbook. He wants your life. And once he has your life, he'll have your checkbook. Don't hold on to the stuff of life. Hold on to the stuff of Jesus. And he'll make all things new. He will save, but he also will destroy. Did you catch this? In order to be saved, there has to be a consequence of not being saved. True? Deductive reasoning here. Hey, I got saved. Okay, well, so what does that mean? Well, there must have been the possibility of not being saved. I mean, just think through this for a moment. If it's going to be good news, there's got to be the possibility of church, bad news. And right here, he saves, but he also destroys. Imagine when we get in front of Jesus on that day. Do you think Jesus, as he's judging, and oh, by the way, again, you want to be in the Bema judgment seat line, amen? Don't be in the great white throne judgment line. Don't be in there. That's not where you want to be. There aren't any do-overs. It's too late. But when Christ judges, do you think in that great white throne judgment line, do you think He's going to look at those people who have rejected Him? And by the way, they've made, they may have made a profession. They may have served in a church. They may have been a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. And the reality, if the heart has never been given over in total belief of the mind of, yes, an emotional response, but an active faith where we're turning our lives over. This is all for naught. It's all a sham. God, through His Word, through Jesus Christ, says this as people are saying, but Lord, we did all these miracles in Your name. He says, depart from me. I never knew You. He's not saying, I don't know You. He actually is saying something much worse. I never knew You. (laughs) I don't know who You are. My sheep know me, and my sheep hear my voice, is what the Word says about Jesus. Do you think on that day when He's judging those at the great white throne judgment, that He's going to look at them and go, hey, you know what? You gave it your best. I'm going to punish the sin, but not punish you. What do you think the Bible says on that? The Bible's clear. He's not going to punish the sin. He's going to punish the person. This is why the gospel is so direly needed. The American Country Club Church can be no more. It's time to be on the mission for the mission. Because we have a world around us that's dying daily. He saves, He destroys, but who are you to judge? Last key, key number two, here it is. Because I know you're wondering, so what do I do then? What do I do when I get slandered? Here it is, key number two. My job is not to condemn people. My job is to live the gospel and pray for people. Write that down. Key number two, my job is not to condemn people. My job is to live the gospel and pray for people. Now again, 
does God's Word say you cannot confront sin? Actually, I'd make the argument, I think that's an issue that we don't do well. We too often just turn a blind eye. The infection grows. It gets deeper. And at that family reunion, the ball team, the business, the church, it just gets deeper. And we think, well, if I just ignore this, it'll go away. Trust me, it won't go away. It's going to get worse. We must not condemn people, though. We must pray for them. Live the gospel. Live it. Just don't talk about it. Go live it. Think about what Matthew 7 says here. Matthew 7, 1 through 3 of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Uh Uh-oh. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Oh boy. Why, here's the question, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Well, this is so easy as believers, we can do this really well, don't we? I mean, really well. Again, we don't rob banks, we don't sleep around, we don't murder people with weapons, but we are so good at murdering with our hearts and our minds and our mouths. And right here, Jesus says, why is it you take a scalpel and you literally poke it in your brother's eye, taking out a tiny speck, while you yourself have a forest growing out of your own eye? It's just delusional. But this is the deceitfulness of sin. This is exactly why the cross and the empty tomb came about. That sin is so deceitful. Remember back in the garden, we talked about this. And the serpent comes on the scene. And he saddles up next to Eve, and he doesn't look at her and say, hey, why don't you worship me? He just plays on her own pride. You'll be like God. We like to hear that, don't we? And when that starts happening, the hypnotizing power of sin, just like those old cartoons. Remember those old cartoons where the snake's on the branch? Kind of interesting, a snake on a branch. And the eyes of the person that the snake is wooing are doing what? They're circling, aren't they? As they're getting lured and baited and enticed in. And that's the deceitfulness. It literally is a trap. It's a snare. As the lure is dangled. And boom, the hook is set. And the enemy begins to reel us in. I can't look at you and confront you when I myself are doing the same things or worse. See, that's where the humility comes in. James set this up so beautifully. He says, humble yourselves. Not your friend, not your neighbor. No, you work on you is what he's saying. I work on me. We humble ourselves, and everything else will take care of itself. We won't have to worry about all the slander that goes on, all the challenges of evil speech. We don't have to worry about it. Why? Because our heart's in tune with the Lord. We're we're vertically abiding in the true vine. We're saying, I'm going to walk in Him. And even though people will come against us, and they will, please hear the Word of God on this. Jesus said, people will hate you because of me. And so you think through this, and Matthew 5, 44 now says it like this. Matthew 5, 44, on the front end of the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's always fun, isn't it? Someone's deeply wounded you, hurt you beyond measure, 
And the Bible says to pray for them. You know what's interesting that I've learned in my own life is this, that when we pray for those who have hurt us and wounded us, whose heart typically gets changed? It can be the perpetrator. That happens sometimes, yes. But when you and I, with humility, pray for that person that has hurt us, our hearts begin to change. Our hearts change. It doesn't mean we're given a thumbs up and an okay to what that person did to us, but we now begin to see as Christ sees us that when I see how wicked my sin is and I see how infinite His grace is, they've hurt you, they've hurt me. I now begin to look through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb towards them. Who knows? Maybe God's going to use your pain, your woundedness, all your brokenness to actually help lead someone else to the cross. You say, I'd rather go on a Tuesday night to EE. That's evangelism explosion for you younger folks. Well, sometimes the way he explodes evangelistically is using our pain for his purpose. I mean, think about that. Sometimes the way that he explodes in the most evangelical manner is actually taking our mess and creating the message. Taking our tests and creating the triumph. Taking the brokenness and creating the breakthrough. Taking our, our setbacks and in the process, He's working out an eternal weight of glory behind the scenes and He's taking the, the setbacks and creating a comeback for His praise. How do you get there? Well, it's going to take humility. And that's why our takeaway question is so important. Here's a takeaway question. I want you to just think about this and really answer it honestly. When those around me hear me talk about other people, what do they walk away thinking? When others hear you and I talk about other people, what do they walk away thinking? Like, do they look at me and go, well, he's a pastor. He shouldn't be talking like that. He's a pastor, and boy, he's got a lot of bitterness in his heart. He's a pastor, and man, he sounds kind of hateful. Is that what they do when they hear me talk? Well, I pray if that's the case that I'll humble myself and repent and turn from that wickedness. Because the reality, church, our speech about others often reveals more about us than it does about them. Our speech about others often reveals more about us than it does about them. Imagine if what I and you thought about this past week, imagine if what I and you thought about right here this past week was somehow printed in the bulletin this morning. Two things, that'd be a lot of paper, amen? And wouldn't that be frightening? Would that not be frightening if every thought I had this week, every thought was somehow printed so that you could all read? It'd be frightening, wouldn't it? See, this is the point of sanctification, that sanctification is an ongoing 
pruning work in the true believer's life. It literally means this, to become more like Jesus. So when someone says, I'm being sanctified, amen it. But they're saying, I'm becoming more like Christ as the Holy Spirit does the work in me. And it's like that sponge. You guys ever use sponges at your house? Any sponge lovers? Sponge bobbers? Okay, I knew we'd get a hand raised there on that one. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, if you got a sponge and it's just, you know, soaking, sopping wet. I mean, this thing weighs like 11 pounds, right? I mean, what do you do? You just gently, you just gently, just, just gently just turn it and then you just throw it back in the cupboard, right? Well, you wouldn't do that. You're going to have mold growing, right? Because you got 11, well, 10 pounds of water in your cupboard now. No, what do you do? I mean, what do you do? It's okay. Just, you're Baptist, but what do you do? Well, you get one hand on one end of the sponge, right? And you get one hand on the other, and what do you do? Come on now, be honest. You, you pretend like that's the pastor you don't like, and what do you do? I was kidding. No, I mean, you, you, just, you, just, you just squeeze. I mean, you just turn that thing. I mean, and, and you do it once, and you do it twice, and what are you doing? You're, you're getting every, every drop, right? I mean, you are, you're, just, you're just turning it. That's how I want us to picture the sanctifying work of Jesus in our lives. He loves us so much that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's just wringing us out in a good, healthy way. Just getting all that self and that bitterness and that slander and that unforgiveness and that jealousy and on and on. He's just gently, like only He can do with His blood, His righteousness, He's just turning the sponge. And that's what happens in the work of the Lord. Am I focused on self? Am I focused on consuming? Or am I focused on contributing? You know, another way to ask this for the action step would be this, as I lead into the action step, and it's simply this, do you know where you're going? Do you really know where you're going? You'll never get to where you're going unless you first know where you are. And that's why the action step is so important. Here it is, the action step, write it down. I will seek to pray for those who have wounded me, and I will resist the temptation to slander them. Write that down. Some of us here today, I know, are dealing with heavy stuff, deep wounds. And by the way, my heart goes out to you. Some have been wounded deeply. I mean deeply from childhood on, and my heart breaks for you. But here's the reality from God's Word that we need to seek to pray for those who have wounded us. And then resist the temptation. Resist. Like God opposes the proud. He resists. He goes to war against. That's what you and I need to do on this temptation. Don't play patty cake with this temptation of slandering. Speaking evil, go to war against it. Put it to death. Kill it. Don't allow it into your life. Don't allow it to be on the periphery of your life and just kind of hang around and you're looking through the window going, oh, there it is. No, go exterminate it. Like take it down to the city incinerator and burn it. Otherwise, as we try to manage the sin, it will begin to manage us. And I've seen this destroy. I've seen this destroy families. I mean, destroy them. Professing, believing families. We know Jesus, really. He doesn't know you, I can assure you that. This is not how you behave. No repentance, no humility. 
seriously? God has called us to a much higher standard. And that's why when we're tempted to slander someone, replace that evil thought in your mind with biblical truth. Just think about this closing thought. The next time, and who knows, maybe it's in the parking lot on the way out of here. I don't know. But you're tempted to slander someone. Immediately replace that with biblical truth. You say, well, how do I do that? Real simple, open the Bible. Like open the Bible and start feasting on it. Like feasting on it. Like just last night I'm reading 1 Thessalonians. It says, test all things. Hold fast to what is true. Abstain from every form of evil. Like right there, you're, you're feeding the mind. Hold fast to what is true. Hold fast to it. Don't bend, don't buckle, don't break. Hold fast to what's true. And watch God hold on to you. Amen. Father, we love You and we give this time to You, God. Forgive us as we repent even right now. God, forgive us. Forgive us for our slanderous speech. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us how we often think of self. Forgive us, God. Don't allow us to walk in these sinful patterns. God, I pray as we just seek Your face in this time of reflection, of meditation on Your Word. God, would You do a work right now only You can do. God, don't allow us to even attempt to resist You. But I pray right now, everyone, myself at the top of the list, just simply say, God, have Your way, God. Have Your way. God, will You speak in this time that will give You the praise, will give You the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.